homecoming. What do you do about homecoming? How do you do homecoming? What do you do on homecoming? How do you... This, all this stuff been running through my head for the last two or three weeks because <laughs> I plan so far ahead of, for stuff, you know. Um, y'all got to wake up. Y'all are killing me. I want to start by, by first of all saying um, thank you to our uh, decorating committee, I think we're calling them. Um, they've kind of dressed us up a little bit in here and kind of took us back in time. Um, they've also done some decorating out in the CLC, and, and I, I appreciate them doing that. Uh, thank you to Miss um, Tara, the boards that you see out front that have all the church history stuff on it. Um, she put all that together. It's stuff that other people have found over time. She just kind of gathered it up and put it on the boards, but I really appreciate her putting that together and, and doing that. Um, and then I want to say a great big huge thank you to Brother Kevin and Miss Chastity. A few years ago, they went back and did a bunch of research and put together a kind of a church history thing, and, and I'll be using that this morning. So what the information I'll be giving you, I, I didn't have nothing to do with. I just asked for a copy of it. But I want to share some of that with you. A few years ago, Kevin kind of took the time and read the entire story um, of the history of our church. And I'm going to hit some of those highlights this morning and kind of bring some of that to memory. But I want to first kind of get into um, our purpose this morning and, and the purpose for homecoming in general. Why would you celebrate homecoming to start with? And what does it mean and what's it about and, and that kind of stuff. And, and this, is, this is Nick's take on it. Uh, but in my mind, the purpose of what we're doing this morning is to help us to have an opportunity to reflect on or to remember where we've come from, kind of look at where we are today, and get an idea for where we want to go. And that's kind of what this whole thing will revolve around, is where we've come from, where we are, and where we want to go. And the where we want to go part of it is kind of an individual thing to some extent, but also as a group, how we want to move forward. But I won't ever want to be the person that forgot the people that laid the foundation. Because it took a lot of people being faithful to get us to where we are today. A lot of people. And some of them you'll recognize the name, some of them you've never heard of, and it's okay either way. You know, for some people that have been here, and I, and I want to do something this morning, and, it, and it's not a competition or a contest, it's kind of to get, get a mental picture for all of us. I want to, I want to ask you... Um, I see I'd be going backwards, so I'll start with people here today. I can kind of look and see that. So if you were a part of Wales Baptist Church as a member or visiting or whatever, if you remember attending services in the Baptist Association building, if you was a part of this church when we were holding service in the Association building, would you stand up, just kind of want to get an idea, get a mental picture of who was around? And this will kind of give all of you a mental picture. You can kind of look around and see um, who was around when and, and what the core looks like. What about you were a part of the church in the old building? Does anybody have to sit down for that when we were down in the old building? Huh? Was you around for that? No? No? All right. That's awesome. Cool. This kind of gives you a mental picture of, of, of some of the people. And this, y'all can be seated. Kind of give you a mindset of the folks that was around as this progress takes place that we're going to read about and talk about this morning in our, in our homecoming service. Foundations have to be laid. You have to build on something. And it takes faithful people to endure the things that we're going to talk about. And I want you to know something, and, and I'm going somewhere with this this morning. So, uh, two or three people have asked, are you going to preach this morning? Heck yeah, it's my turn, ain't it? 
So I'm going to tie all of this into a message. And it's a part of who we were, but it's not, a, it's, it's not the identifying factor of this church. And it can't be. And it can't be for you either. And we're going to get to that, but we're going to go through some of this. Some of this is, re all of it's really interesting. I'm not going to skip it because it's not important. I want to skip it just because of time. Um, the summer of 1912. Go with me. The summer of 1912. A tent meeting was conducted near, down here near Richland Creek. And during these meetings, it had become evident that the community needed a house of worship. So, so the so Presbyterians come in here and held some tent meetings down here by Richland Creek. And during that, they seen the hunger for God's Word. And they said, hey, there needs to be a place of worship in this community. This was in, this was in 1912, right? In the fall of 1913, near the site where the tent had been pitched, the George S. White family donated and deeded the land to the Presbyterian Church USA. And next, the work began on the structure by William C. Morris Sr., Mr. Rogers, Newt White, and George White. In February of 1914, the house of worship was completed. That was the old building that we used to have church in down here in the curve that if you look at the pictures back there, the church that burnt, that's that building. 1914. It was built by the community. The land donated by people in the community. And then they went out there and actually put their hands on it and built it. Because they seen a need for a house of worship in this community. Now stop for just a moment. If nobody does that, do we exist today as a church? I mean, who knows, you know, right? But because it did happen, because somebody saw the need, and because somebody put a plan into action, somebody donated some, some land, somebody donated some materials. And, I mean, this wasn't coming out of a budget, right? It didn't exist. So people just seen that there was a need and rallied together and made it happen. What an interesting concept, Right? You just see a need and you rally together and you supply whatever it is you can supply to help meet the need and, and it becomes a church. And the foundations for what you and I have today. Keep going with me. Alright. <clears throat> now I'm going to throw a bunch of dates at you and, and I'm not, I'm not going to bore you with a, a bunch of the details but I want to kind of quick history, get us up to a point where we can grab, grab some... And again, it's not because this other stuff isn't important. Um, it's just a time thing. So at that time, Wales Baptist... I mean, Wales Church was a Presbyterian-based church in, in 1914 at the very beginning. All right, over the years, and we're talking from 1914, I'm going to bring you all the way up to somewhere around 1977. The church flourished, it done great, people attended. They was never without a pastor. They had multiple pastors. I have a list of about six or seven pastors here in different time frames that they served from 1914 to 1977. All right. In 77, the pastor's name was uh, J.L. Perry of Lawrenceburg. He led the worship service until he retired in 77. All right. In 77, the number of people in attendance had dwindled so bad that Reverend Perry retired and no services were held for two years. So from 77 to 79, the church was basically closed. 
Now listen to this. During this time of shutdown, the house of worship almost became a storage barn for hay. Somebody wanted to make a hay barn out of it. Not somebody, but we'll see here in a minute. They wanted to make a hay barn out of the old church building. However, on the day they were supposed, supposed to start putting the hay in it, a storm came and lightning struck the steeple and completely destroyed it. And the White family concluded that God was not happy with turning this house of worship into a hay barn and did not put no hay in it. <laughs> Alright, so we start off with a group of people that see a need and decide to build a building. That flourishes for a while, then it kind of dwindles. Now the people that own the place that um, obviously had given up the land and given, they thought, well, we'll just turn it into a hay barn. The day they're supposed to start stacking hay in it, a storm comes, lightning strikes the steeple, and they go, no, no, we ain't putting hay in it. Not sure what we're going to do with it, but hay barn is not the answer, right? See God's intervention along the way, stay with me. In August of 1979, on a hot Sunday afternoon, several people of the Presbyterian of Middle Tennessee went out into the community to take a survey of households from two and a half to five miles out from the Wales Presbyterian Church. This survey was to determine whether the church could and should be re reopened. Finally, on August the 19th, 1979, the church reopened with 14 original members and six visitors. So 20 people came together to have service. This is in August of 79. In at 1980 is when Charles Wingard, is I'm saying his name right, Wing, Wingard, came to be the pastor. Um, he was fresh out of college. He spends a couple of years here doing everything, whatever, cu cutting grass, painting sign, it don't matter. Whatever had to be done, he done it. He was just out of college and, and green as a gourd and, and happy to have it. And he done that from uh, in 1980 until... 84. Not the whole time him, but different people in and out. The, the fluctuation of attendance and um, at times they only had three people present in the services from 79 to 84. So again, it's, it's declining, it's falling off, um, going back to the hay barn idea, so to speak. Um, and then Charlie goes back and a, a guy by the name of uh, Robert Kozar came to serve uh, in Linville. Uh, Brick Church, Frank Ewan, and Wales. So he had four churches, done the best he could do. To, you can try to kind of imagine a person being the pastor of four different churches and trying to meet all those needs. I mean, I, it's two of us trying to take care of one, so I can't imagine one trying to take care of four. You know what I mean? It's just a wide open and done the best they could do. But of course, during that time, it's already going downhill, and that's not going to help things when that's the situation you have. So um, we, that, that was in uh, just after 84. Um, and then somewhere down the line in 84, Mr. William Morris met Mac Pinkleton, and after some discussion, Brother Mac agreed to preach early morning services at Wales. At the time, Brother Mac was also the pastor at New Hope Baptist Church. So he's coming to Wales in kind of in support. As a matter of fact, when they dissolve, they end up dissolving in 1984, January of 84, the Presbyterian of Middle Tennessee um, told the church that they would have to make a decision about the future of the church. The church asked them to dissolve it, um, and they did that. April 26, 1984. That resolution was adopted by the Presbytery, which means it went through, and they decided to dissolve the Presbyterian church at Wales in April of 84. 
Following the dissolving of the Presbyterian Church, several members were baptized into the Baptist Church with New Hope Baptist Church sponsoring the Wales Missionary Baptist Church. Now think about this, y'all make sure you lock in on this. At this time, this church has been dissolved as a Presbyterian church. Brother Mack, a Baptist preacher, has been filling in on Sunday mornings. He's a pastor of another Baptist church called New Hope. All right, New Hope takes Wales in under their wing, calls it Wales Missionary Baptist. And what it is, is New Hope has become the sponsor of Wales Baptist Church. That's what it boils down to. They're, they're kind of standing behind it. We're using their pastor, or they were using their pastor, and, and, and just kind of pushing it along, not letting it completely dissolve as a church or a light in the community. Just trying to keep it going enough till God can do so the next thing. Well, He does. Um, September 30th, 1984, Wales Baptist Missionary Church became Wales Baptist Church. They're out from under New Hope in 84. At the very same time, Brother Mack resigned from New Hope and accepted pastor of Wales Baptist Church. Hey, where's my business and finance guys? Listen to me. At that time, there was $10 in the treasury and they had 10 members. They didn't need a budget and finance committee, Tim. They, did, they didn't have one. Ten bucks in the treasury and ten members. That is in 1984. Brother Mac decides to become pastor, and from there it takes off. Now, now I'm going to talk about some of the, or read about some of the things that, that I, this is where I start to remember. And I'm not sure, I, I wasn't ever sure of dates, and I'm not sure about, my mind and how it works and the things I can remember and what I think I remember and what I really can't remember. But this stuff I remember. In 84, I was born in 77, right? So in 84, I'd be what, eight years old? Seven years old? Right, right. Seven years old. Seven. Yeah, seven and seven, carry the one, yeah, seven, seven years old, okay. In 84, I'd have been seven years old, but I remember these things. I, when I started reading this again, I, I, I remember these things. In 84, I was seven years old, there's no way I have that good of a memory, but listen. In the winter of 84, the old potbelly stove was used to heat the church, and a member uh, donated two outhouses, a his and hers. Right. Members brought blankets to keep warm during worship. See, that's not much different than today. <laughs> so see, it's homecoming for some of y'all every Sunday. One of the members is quoted as saying that it was 20 degrees in the far corners of the church building during service. Now, I remember this old potbelly stove. Very, I mean, I remember it. I remember, I remember Mr. Dunavant coming early, being at service early. Him and, and J.O. Scoggins would be there early. Start the fire. Go, come in before time and, and start the fire. I mean, it's a, literally a potbelly stove. Listen, the ceilings in that thing were like 20 foot tall. It made a good hay barn. I ain't going to lie to you. The walls were straight up and it was straight across. And it, when you walked in there as a kid, it felt like the, I mean, just, I don't know. I mean, it's like a big coliseum in there. And then in the middle of it, in the middle of the aisle, about the third or fourth pew back, was a cast iron potbelly stove 
with a, with a, chim, a, a stack that went all the way up through that. I mean, I remember this stuff. And I can remember coming in there and it being 15 or 16 people huddled around that stove. Everybody sat right there to listen to the preaching because that's where the heater was, right? And about the time service was over, it was comfortable in there. It wasn't too bad at time to leave. And I, and I tried to sit and remember at seven years old, there's no way I have that vivid of a memory of the things and events that was taking place, but I guess so. Um, I was able to remember a little bit more than I, than I thought I could. Because I remember this next part. By the winter of 85, the old potbelly stove had been replaced with gas heaters. In the summer, window air conditioners were added and the cracks in the floor were covered by carpet. This was also the first year of Vacation Bible School with Brother Jimmy Pinkleton as the director. This first BBS had enrollment of around 80. During this time, the sanctuary was the only room. So the adults met in the sanctuary and the children had class outside. We didn't have but one room. I mean, I remember that. I remember going to VBS and everything we did was outdoors. And I sit and reflect and think about this. This thing almost became a hay barn. It, it fluctuated so that when it became a Baptist church, they had 10 bucks and 10 members. You know, that had to be a pretty faithful 10 members. And, and today, I don't know about you, but today I'm pretty thankful for those folks. Whether I know their names or not, whether I can pinpoint each one or not, I'm very thankful that they chose to pursue that thing. And keep it rolling, even with just 10 bucks and 10 people. Because a lot of times it's not about our faithfulness as much as it is God's faithfulness. And His desire to see it go. And His desire to see it take place. Um, in 87, the church had grown to 75 members. Uh, built the first edition. Uh, the addition consisted of two bathrooms. We got rid of the porta-potties. That was in 87. We was really uptown. Two Sunday school rooms were and a kitchen were added. Central heat and air was also a welcomed addition during this remodel. That's in 87. Uh, Brother Mac's uh, health got bad and he retired in December of 91. Uh, Brother Carl Bond stepped in as an interim pastor. And then uh, behind Brother Bond the first time was uh, Mr. Broner. Ken Broner, Mr. Kenneth Broner. Um, and then he served for about a year and then he resigned and returned to Georgia where he had come from. And then Brother Carl come back in. And then November of 94, uh, Brother Charles Ingram became the pastor. Uh, a big influx of growth and, and a lot of great things taking place during that time. Um, and then come on up to uh, 98, new carpet, new drapes, installed vinyl ceiling uh, because the pigeons had eat up the old one. <laughs> um, during this time, they had city water put in, no more sulfur water. It was gone. And then they were up to somewhere between 90 and 100 members. In May of 2001, Brother Charles resigned and several pastors filled in. Um, September the 6th of 2001, got to call early in the morning between 2 and 3 a.m. Uh, when we arrived, the building was fully engulfed in flames. The building was a total loss. Uh, many thought we might dissolve once again, but through God's grace and our love for one another, we persevered. Uh, we held services in the Giles Association building. Uh, Brother David was called to be our pastor October the 1st, 2001. Uh, when this all took place, that's September the 6th in 2001. Anybody else remember a big event in 2001 in September? 
9-11, right? So that, I, and that's how all of this fits in my mind. It was a Wednesday night. Thursday morning the call came after a Wednesday night service and somebody had, had thought that something was going on down at the church and by the time anybody got here, it was fully engulfed. I, I came, I didn't get word about it till early the next morning, but I remember I was working at Brooks at the time and I came this away. So I just came on and stopped by and, and just stood out there in the parking lot with everybody else just going, what the world, man? I mean, now what do you do? And to be honest with you, at that time, I wasn't even active in church. I wasn't, I wasn't a regular at all. Just hit or miss. You know, I did the holiday thing. But I remember being absolutely heartbroken that building's gone. I mean, we'll never have... I mean, this is crazy. But I remember people like Eddie Smith and, and, and uh, Miss Shirley and, and uh, some of the other folks that were leaders in the church at the time going, this ain't the end. We'll do something. They were talking about putting tents in the parking lot. I mean, uh, yeah, them pop-up tents in the parking lot and having services and all kinds of ideas bounced off of one another and eventually we end up in the association building. Remember, this is a church without a pastor whose building just burnt. This is a church without a pastor whose building just burnt. Looks like a good time to throw in the towel to me. Right? And what you got to lose now? But not this bunch. Not going out that way. We ain't sure what we're going to do, but we're going to do something. Along comes Brother David. Uh, we were meeting in the association building. Um, this ain't in here, but in 2002, I got saved January of 2002. This, this event brought me and my wife into church. My wife had still been going to church, but I got up one Sunday and she said, What are you doing? I said, I'm going to church with you. She said, Cool. I said, Where do we go? <laughs> She said, she said, if you're going to go anywhere you want to, I said, well, I'd like to go back out to Wales. She said, well, let's go. And we went out to the association building, um, and that's where all of my story begins, is, is in the middle of this story it begins. Um, a person who had, at seven, eight years old had attended this church, and now here I am back, and, and it all intertwines. And again, it's all because people were faithful to just hang on. When it was $10 and 10 people, when it was a burnt building and no pastor, people just refused to quit. They refused to quit on each other. They refused to quit on God. They didn't look at it and go, now God, look what you've done. They just gathered up what was there and, and moved on to the next thing. And, and that takes us up to having services under Brother David in the association building. Brother David tore down a lot of walls of tradition taught us a lot of things that, that we hadn't been taught up until that point. I, I learned a ton under Brother David and the things that he taught and the way he ministered and he wasn't holding nothing back and he was honest with us and it was, all, it was all a big growth process. And remember this guy, now we're a new church with a new pastor, right? I mean in 2000 and whoa, I flipped the wrong page. 2000, I think we was in 2002, right? Uh, we end up at the old... Uh, and that's a pretty neat story too. This this um, property became available. You know, kind of looking for a place to we build in the same place. That lot floods. You know, if it rains too much, you can't have church. That church was built on stilts. You know, it, it had a big foundation underneath it because if it rained, it would flood. So, do you rebuild there? Do you move somewhere else? Well, this land came up for bids. The the city actually had the land, and they. They released it, opened it up six acres for um, bids. And, of course, the church put in a bid. 
So did the guy that's actually next door now, um, Lockridge, Tim Lockridge. He put in a bid. We go to the bid reading and find out we didn't get it. We don't. I mean, he be outbid us. He gets the land, and somebody goes to him and tells him, you know, what's going. Talk to him and go. This is what's going on. And he just pulled his bid back and said, "Never mind. Y'all can have it." You know. All of this adds up. You know, all of this shapes you into who you are today. We're not defined as the church that stole the land from the guy next door, right? Right? We're not defined by that, but it shapes us, right? It causes us to be who we are today. And, and at times, uh, you have to stop and reflect on these things and be thankful and grateful. And go, thank you, God, that Mr. Tim was, removed his bid. And we ended up with this six acres that we sat on today. Uh, that brings us up into 2002. Um, Brother David, of course, still pastoring, and, and we're building, and churches, not churches, uh, missionaries came from all over the country. Uh, we met a lot of cool people that helped build this building, um, established some awesome relationships. At the time, I was a youth minister, um, and all these people that came as groups had kids, and me and Amanda had to figure out what to do with all these kids in the evenings to give them something to do while they're working on the church and, and just had a big old time. We just really enjoyed that time of working on this place. Um, Brother David taught us a lot of things. One of, the, one of his big catchphrases during all this was, it's not about you, it's not about me, it's all about God. And he kind of stuck with that throughout his tenure here and in his teaching here. Um, he left. When he left, Brother Kirby was the associate pastor. Um, he became the pastor. The, he filled in, I guess you could say. Um, until I came along, that was in 2006 when Brother David left. I came along in 2000, April of 2007. Um, I got voted in as pastor. <laughs> Suckers. <laughs> right? <laughs> Y'all thought that'd be a short-lived thing. Y'all still got me. Um, while Brother Nick was the pastor, uh, a member since childhood, we continued to grow in many areas. One area uh, during this time was the completion of the COC building. Uh, Brother Pat Engel, Brother Rick Carpenter and, and their crew um, helped to put this thing together and it was, a, it was a nightmare. Everything about it was a nightmare. The state got involved. It got all crazy. But they stuck it out and, and made it happen. Uh, of course, that became the root of, of our, our Awanas and Upward Basketball and, and just all different kinds of ministry things have taken place out there and all of this because somebody stuck to their guns and didn't just throw in the towel and give up. Um, I resigned in 2009. Um, we had a plethora of different people to come through and, and just kind of fill in during the time. Brother Kevin was called as a pastor in 2010. Um, he had also been a member of the church since age 18. Um, and then somewhere in 2012, um, I came back in as the uh, associate pastor and... Uh, that pretty well brings us to where we are today. Uh, from March of 2010 to August of 2012, God saw fit to burden the members of Wales to pay off more than $292,000 in debt um, to further His kingdom. So from, from 10 people and $10 at the beginning of, of a Baptist church to a group of people that paid off $292,000 in debt in two years because nobody quit or because some wouldn't quit. I ain't going to say nobody quit. Because some wouldn't quit. Some refused to give it in. Some refused to throw in the towel. Even with, with no church building and no pastor. We're going to figure it out. And listen, what we built here 
that down there would have fit inside of here. We had no business looking and going, that's what size we need. There was nothing that indicated except for faith. That was all. And it got done and God's really, really blessed us. And again, a time of reflection. All of these things shape who we are as a church family today. All of these things play a part in, in the shaping and molding. But none of it identifies us. Again, we're not known as the church that burnt anymore. We're not known as the church in the association bill. We were and that shaped us and it's a great part of our history. But it's not who we are. So many of us as individuals want to hold on to our past and be known by what we were. You shouldn't be. A time of reflection is a good thing. A time to sit down and look back and see where you've come from and the people that God's used in your life to, to play specific roles, to get you to specific places. That's a great thing to do. But it's not okay for you as a Christian to be identified by who you were. Ever. It's okay to remember it and reflect on it and see what God's done in my life and where He's brought me. As a matter of fact, I do that often. But it's never okay for me to sit down and be identified as who I was. And here's why. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You don't have, I'm, going, I'm going to be brief this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. For now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Not a modified version of your old self. Right? Not identified by the things in your past. Right? A new creation. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Listen, where we are today matters. Where we have been matters. But where we're going tomorrow is not dependent on where we have come from. It's dependent on one thing. Where's God leading you to? That's it. The same is true for you as an individual. Who you have been is not going to determine where you're going. What's going to determine where you're going is what does God say? Where does He desire for you to be? Because you are a new creation. Too many Christians are living in their past. You're letting things that are old hold you back. Listen to me. As if there's nothing else you ever learn, you've got to learn what forgiveness is. And you've got to learn that for two reasons. Number one, so you can understand that God removes as far as the east is from the west when you ask Him to, when you repent of those things. And the second reason you've got to learn it is so you can hand some of it out. Some people say you've got to learn to forgive yourself. You can't forgive yourself. If you could do that, Christ didn't have to die on the cross. All, he's not waiting on you to forgive yourself. He's waiting on you to accept the forgiveness that He's offering. So you can move forward and become what He has in store for you. It would be a sad thing that if we sat down as a church and said, well, we'll just always be known as that church that burnt. You, every time something happens, we just go, well, remember now, we did have that church to burn that time, so we can't help it. Right? That's what people do. Well, just remember what she's been through. She can't help it. Yes, she can help it. God says she's a new creation. Right? So act like it. Act like it. Claim the promises of God and quit living in the junk behind you. 
It's okay to reflect and look back. It is. It's, it's cool. Because you need to be appreciative of where you've come from and thankful to God Almighty that He didn't leave you there. But you can't keep falling back on that as a crutch for your bad behavior and your bad attitude, right? You've got to wake up and be the new creation God has created you to be. And quit living in the junk behind you. That stuff's behind you for a reason. You know why the windshield on your car is this big and the rearview mirror is this big? Because what's in front of you is more important than what's behind you. Right? Why are you living like your windshield is this big and your rear view is this big? God says you are a, if you are, if you are in Christ. Listen, this is important. If you are in Christ. You are a new creation, not a modified version of the old you. This isn't about controlling your behavior. This is about a brand new creation. This isn't, this, God shaped you and molded you through the things of your past. And I'm not telling you that your past don't matter. I'm telling you it don't matter for your future. Because where you're going is dependent on one thing. That's where God's leading. That's all. Because it don't matter what you're capable of. If He wants to take you somewhere, you'll be there. Right? It ain't about what I'm able to do at all. Because if it was, I'd be in a bad place. Because <laughs> my abilities are little. But God's abilities are big and unlimited. You've got to learn this. You've got to quit living in your past. You've got to get started living in where God wants you to be today. But I'm doing this on homecoming because I want you to hear me say, that don't mean you just forget everything that's behind you and act like it never happened. That's not true either. Because those things do shape you and mold you and God brought you through those things and He deserves the glory for what He's brought you through just like He deserves the glory for where Wales Baptist Church as a whole is today. Because it ain't about what I did or Eddie did or Kevin did or Kirby did or Big Daddy did. Right? It's about what God did. He could have done it with all of us or without any of us if that's what He wanted to do. So it ain't, it ain't on me, it's on giving God glory. So your past is important for that. It's also important for you to be able to look back at those things just like David did. He said, heck, God done, I done whooped a lion, I done whooped a bear. If God can do that, He can whoop this giant. Me and you's got to see the bears and the lions in our past because that giant in front of us gets big when we forget what God's already done. It's important for that. But that don't mean you've got to continue to live in where you came from. You're not ident identified by that terrible event, that tragedy in your past. You're identified by whether or not you are in Christ. And if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Brand spanking new. Not a modified version of your old self. Listen, you don't want the modified me. Because <laughs> he's better than he was, but whew. Right? What I want is that new creation where it's a clean start and a fresh start. Because see, as a church as a whole, we're, we're, re, we're, rewrite, we're writing right now. When they update this in 15 years, right? This is what they'll be talking about. And I hope it's full of nothing but the great things that God has done through the congregation at Wales Baptist Church. Things like mission trips to Guatemala, Right? Uh, th things like the people that have been saved through, through various ministries, Fellowship of Christian Hunters, Awana's programs, right? That, that's what I want on these pages. You know what it's going to take for us to get focused on what God has in store for us, for us to get focused on God so that when He directs, we can just move. 
But if we walk around as individuals constantly worried about what has happened and how I've been treated and you ain't going to believe, grow up. Get over it. Be who God's called you to be today, a new creation. Let's get started on that, on a clean slate, and let's get started with that. I'm going to go just a little bit further, and I'm going to quit. <clears throat> In celebration of homecoming, I'm going to quit early. Don't get used to it, though. Verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He didn't reconcile me so, so I can just be reconciled. He didn't give me forgiveness so I can just have a pocket full of forgiveness. He don't show me mercy so I can just walk around with mercy all over me. He gives me these things so I can reproduce them into the people around me. Right? In other words, reconciliation came to me so I could have a ministry of reconciliation. Forgiveness was given to me so I could learn how to forgive. Mercy was given to me so I could learn how to show mercy. God ain't ever give you anything that's just for you and you alone. He gave it to you so you can share it with the people around you. He gave it to you so it can become a ministry for you. So you can spread these things and so He can look down and see nothing but reflections of Himself. That's what He wants. That's what He desires. is for us to be reflections of His glory. And you know how you put that on display? Reconciliation. Forgiveness. Huh? Fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5. Go look it up. Those are the things God wants to look down and see out of each one of us as individuals. Those are the things He's instilled in us so we can pass them on to the people around us. But instead, we're selfish. And we want what we want, when we want it, how we want it. We want it to be the right color and the right size and the right smell. And we don't care what it costs anybody around us as long as we get what we want. Well, that's just not okay. It's about being that new creation. Last thing. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. You know, there, there's a lot, of, lot written about the history of this church and this group of people. A lot more than, than I took time to share with you this morning. But I, I want to tell you one thing that I've always been proud of about this group of people. And it was their ability to love no matter who came through that door. I, I can't tell you, and I still hear it today, I can't tell you how many people over the time that I've been in the leadership positions in this church come through that door and they come back and I go, what brought you back? And they say, when I come in that door, I just felt loved. And it didn't matter what I had done. It didn't matter where I had come from. It didn't matter who I was. They just loved me. And in my opinion, that is exactly what Paul's talking about here, a ministry of reconciliation. Because if all we do is point fingers at the things that people are doing wrong, we don't have the opportunity to love on them and point them towards a reconciled relationship with their Creator. So no matter how many times the building's burnt, I mean, how, many time, how much time we spent without a pastor... We still don't have any excuse to do anything but love folks. Right? 
That's because we're new creations. We're not, we could be bitter about it. You realize somebody came in that night and set that building on fire. They poured gasoline, kerosene, something down the aisles, right? They, they stole a few guitars that, that belonged to some of the members that, that played. And they set our building on fire. They deserve, right? And we can live there. We can stand there because we still today don't know who it is. We could have spent all that time and effort pursuing that person, but where would that have brought us? Right? You've got you've to move forward. You've got to keep going. You've got to put on display the things God says put on display and quit living in it. We could be bitter. We could be mad. But to what end? Where does that take you? Right? So why are you so mad? Why are you so bitter? You're a new creation. Quit dwelling on the things behind you and start focusing on the things in front. Right? Right? Yes, no, maybe, I don't hang with you, I ain't picking up with you. Tell me something. Right? Thank you. I need something in return up here. I need to know you understanding what I'm getting at. Because this all made perfect sense when I was putting it together. But that don't mean it's going to make perfect sense when it comes out. You know what I mean? Listen, thank you. Somebody's catching on. Just in time to quit. Listen, I, wanna, I want to... Um, Y'all going to come back up here, Chris. You're okay with that, ain't you? I want to uh, give you an opportunity to... Because um, I had told them that we wasn't going to do, do it this way. I didn't realize the direction it was going to go, just to be honest. Um... But I want to give you an opportunity to, to whatever God has laid on your heart to, to, to address that this morning, whatever that may be. Whether, whether, you're, whether you're still the old you, maybe you ain't a new... Because the only way that you're a new creation is if you are in Christ Jesus. So maybe you ain't been that new creation yet. Maybe you ain't had salvation yet. Maybe you ain't got a relationship with Christ yet. And if that's you, I encourage you to address that right now, right here this morning. That you just come and say, hey, I don't understand. I'll do my best to explain. And if I can't, I'll grab Brother Kevin and he'll do his best. And if he can't, we'll just go down the line until we find somebody that can. Because that, that's the most important. Or maybe you've already got that secure in your life and you know there's no way. But you just realized this morning, hey, I'm still holding on to a bunch of garbage from the back side of my history. The things that are behind me. I want to give you an opportunity to turn that loose and start living as that new creation that you claim to be if you have Christ as your Lord and Savior.